Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Terran Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Harry's. John, yes? how does Harry's tie into your New Year's resolution? Well, I'm pretty hairy, and I'm probably going to continue to be hairy in the new year. <laughs> I think that the connections are obvious, and to ask me to go into it even further would be an insult. Yes, jo- John has a very hairy face. I have a very not hairy face. Uh, which one is better? I-, I don't know. You be the judge, but I used Harry's. Harry's can save you about $100 a year if you're a frequent saver. So you can be better with your finances. You can take better physical care of yourself because Harry's products have won countless grooming awards, and they'll keep you looking and feeling great. John, did you even know there were grooming awards? No. Um, I do know that in Germany, they do like a beard award every year. And Harry's may or may not be a sponsor of that. But you see crazy people who do things with wax that you wouldn't even believe. I I saw one guy who actually built a birdhouse out of his beard that there was an actual bird inside of it. I bet he used Harry's. Well, to make that happen. I'm going to send him an email. Well, Harry's is all about a great shave at a fair price, which is why over three million guys have switched to Harry's. They stripped out all the unnecessary features, the the weird vibrating handles, heating blades, uh, like 15 lubricating strips. It's ridiculous. Acids. All, uh, Acids all everywhere. Un- yeah. All those unnecessary costs. So they stripped them all down to deliver the perfect razor at an amazing price. Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades. They're going to give you a free trial shave set when you sign up at harrys.com slash Just pay for shipping. So to get your free trial, go to harrys.com slash right now. You know, you don't even right have to now. shave. You don't even have to just shave your, your face. I hear other people shave other parts of their body. Shave your dog, you know, shave the hedges <laughs> down your, your the road. You can do whatever you want as long as it's legal. It's true. Yeah. Just you can't keep it safe. Yeah. Keep it safe. Ask your parents. <laughs> All right, John, let's get into this. Here we go. Boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep. He's not human, he is like a machine, making more podcasts than you've ever seen. He was never programmed for a life because the show is the extent of his social life. It's the Terran Show, the Terran Show. Don't ask if he's single, you already know, because it's the Terran Show, a simple name. A simple guy with a simple face. It's the Terran Show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Terran Show. I've got a great guest with me today. I, uh, it's it's you. You've already heard him on the ad, unless you skipped the ad. In which case, oh boy, you missed out. You'd better go back and listen to the ad because you're going to be so confused. There are going to be so many inside jokes. And uh, yeah, just, I'm just saying, just use that like back 30 seconds button right now. Uh, as I said, we've been talking to him. Uh, it's John Krause. How you doing, John? Oh my God, Taryn, I'm doing great. It's a sunny, beautiful day. I'm talking to one of my favorite robot podcast hosts, and I definitely know who Brandy Glanville is. Yeah, we all do. We all do. So it's a great day. Yes, uh, John is a fellow podcaster uh, of Big Brother. He has joined me on many of the live feed updates that we did over Big Brother 19. And uh, I'm I'm sure he will be joining us on many more throughout uh, Big Brother Celebrity, uh, Canada, 20, and all of the rest of them. You will never be able to escape us. Yeah, I never really counted, but I, I think based on how long Big Brother 19 felt that we did roughly 19,000 podcasts this past summer. Yeah, that's about right. And then 20,000 will be for 20 and it'll keep going. Yes. Wall to wall content. Yes. You are also a, uh, a psychologist. What, what would I call you? I'm, I'm not any longer. I, my uh, license, I think uh, I'm not any longer. My license officially expired, I think in December, but I, I only practice for about a year or two. 
a couple years ago. So you can call me a failed psychologist or uh, <laughs> a someone with a really expensive piece of paper. Former, yeah, the podcaster formerly known as a psychologist also would work. Uh, I did, well, usually. Usually if you say, like, you're a former psychologist, it makes people think, like, oh, you must have gone on to do bigger and better things, which I'm sure you have. It's all, you know what, beauty and also accomplishment are in the eye of the beholder. And so, yes, <laughs> I would agree with you. I have definitely gone on to do many bigger and better things than what I was doing, uh, even if they don't necessarily pay as much or are not as respected in the wider field of the world. Yes, I, I can uh, relate to that. Uh, not, not being respected <laughs> for your profession. Uh, or even within your profession for your for your topic of conversation uh, reality TV podcaster very very respected in the wide world um, so uh, so well t tell me about this so you uh, wh where'd you grow up all right it all began once upon a time in winter of 1990 uh, <laughs> in a little hamlet just outside of Detroit Michigan that's where I was born and that's where I grew up and I spent Almost my entire uh, first two decades uh, in and around Detroit, Michigan. And uh, then I started moving around. I haven't stopped moving since. Why did you start moving? Well, the first sort of big move I did was to go to college, which was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is where um, a lot of people go to school when they go to the University of Michigan. And uh, so that was like two hours, hour and a half away from where I lived. That was sort of my first big move outside of my, my home. You know, it was the first time I moved away from my family, my parents. Uh, and then when I was in school, I, I studied foreign languages. I studied German. And so I, I spent a summer living in Germany. Uh, and then I came back to Michigan. And then uh, this whole psychology thing, which I'm sure we'll go into, led to a lot of uncertainty in my life. And uh, I took a really interesting opportunity to go live in Asia. Uh, so I did that for a year, uh, which I think I've probably mentioned before on the podcast. And then uh, since I've come back to the States, I moved around Metro Detroit a little bit more, and then I took an opportunity in a completely different career field, which led me down to um, Central Florida, which is where I live now. But I also, I still travel a lot um, just for fun whenever I have the time and the money. Never looked back. Do you, do, you, do you enjoy sort of not having one specific place that you've like stayed at, like just being a, it's a wanderer? Yes and no, right? I, I, it's really cool. Uh, I'm very fortunate that I've gotten to see a lot of things that people my age haven't gotten a chance to see, especially sort of people my age in the current you know economic climate that we live in. Uh, I've gotten to see a lot of the world. A lot of my friends uh, from high school or even from college haven't had as many opportunities as I have. And so it's really fun. It, it adds new perspectives to things and you get to see a lot of really cool new experiences. And uh, anytime I get really, really sort of bored, I always know that I can look forward to uh, another thing. In fact, in my current job that I get, I get paid to do, I also travel quite extensively sort of throughout the United States, mostly in the Northeast. So uh, I'm on an airplane, you know, two to six times a month at this point, whether it's for fun or for work. But the flip side of that, uh, which I think is, is obvious if, if anyone's ever traveled for long enough, is you start to get homesick. You get tired of the, the layovers and the, you know, the baggage claims and stuff. And it can be hard not to have like a, a true anchor uh, for home. I've, I've lived in Central Florida for over a year now. Uh, but in terms of like days actually spent here in my apartment, you know, it's probably only been a few hundred. So I'm still I still feel kind of like a new person in my community. And uh, my girlfriend, whom I, I live with and also lives here, she doesn't travel for work. So she's like started to put roots down uh, in the neighborhood that I hope to eventually be able to do, but I haven't really been able to start settling down so much. Yes. Uh, I, I too often ride planes for fun. Um, 
It's a very fun thing to do. What are you like a what like as a hobby? Do you go to places well, or you, do you just you sit? said you said I'm off I'm on planes either for work or for fun and uh, it just seemed like yeah I just, that seems like something people would do for fun. Yeah, I mean in effect that's sort of what I do. Yeah, I, airplanes are like the least fun thing in the world. I hate I hate being on them. <laughs> you know it's really interesting. Uh, I've always been fascinated with them. I remember there was a short run um, reality TV series that ran sort of in the early 2000s about like life in an airport. I don't remember what it was called. I'm sure some of your listeners will remember it. But I remember watching that and being like, oh, my God, this is really cool. Airports are exciting. And I remember even as a little kid when my family would very occasionally go on trips that, like, the airport was always kind of my favorite part just because uh, the I, the concept of, like, just millions of people coming and going and they're all going to different places. And, like, what are the possibilities? Everyone has their own sort of life, their own story. They're all going to different destinations. I would love walking up and down the terminals and seeing all the different um, destinations on, like, sort of the big marquee boards. Like, oh, my God, Tokyo or, you know, Brainerd. Uh, wherever. And so, and I, I've, I've still maintained some of that. Uh, after you do ride enough airplanes, you do get kind of over like the lack of leg room and the lack of good food. And nowadays they don't really offer any food on airplanes unless you pay for it, even if it's like a really long flight. And so, yeah, I mean, some of the sheen has started to wear off. Although I actually, I ride airplanes so much now for, for work that I, I get like frequent flyer miles. So sometimes I get bumped up and then it's only a little bit horrible. <laughs> yeah it's i uh i i get like i get sick on airplanes i learned a really interesting fact about airplanes the other day uh which is that since they banned smoking on airplanes the air on airplanes has actually gotten less clean uh back <laughs> when smoking was allowed they actually had to filter the air much more frequently and actually you know bring in fresh air much more often because people uh could smell the smoke and so they would know if the air wasn't super super fresh uh, but now that they've actually banned smoking, they are able to get away with much uh, less frequent and less high quality filtration. Oh, man. Isn't that interesting? So <laughs> you're going to get a lot of these. I don't know how long this this uh, episode's going to go, but you're going to get a lot of random facts. I can't help it. Look, you, you listen to this show. You you learn things one of my uh, through osmosis. One of my coworkers the other day called me Snapple John. He said, you can't talk with, with to me without getting a fun fact. And I'm embracing <laughs> cool. it. Let's let's do a counter on how many fun facts we get throughout the uh, the podcast. Um, so you uh, you you said you what was your first for your first experience traveling? Uh, like what what was that like for you? Oh my goodness! Well, uh, I, it's hard to say what is my very very first. I think my earliest memory of travel was probably actually to Florida, uh, the Central Florida area when I was like three years old. I think my family did like a road trip to maybe Disney World. Although I think we visited some relatives, too. I don't remember a ton about that, but I do remember being sort of very small and being held by, like, you know, great-grandparents and great-uncles and things who are, I think, all now deceased. Um, so I that might be a little too early to actually sort of talk about it. Uh, but, yeah, my family went on a few trips sort of throughout my, my early childhood. We went on um, a couple, like, we went on a cruise one time. We went to, like, Niagara Falls, you know. I had a pretty normal childhood for the first decade of my life or so. Uh, and then my parents ended up splitting up and that sort of changed how things went. Uh, but I think what is really the formative travel experience of, of my life was really my first international trip, uh, which is when I went to Germany. You know, I, I still have the same passport because it's been less than 10 years. And like, I remember getting the passport and actually realizing like, oh, my God, I'm going to be going to a different country. And, I, you know, I'd never been on an airplane for longer than two hours or so and it was like an eight or nine hour trip uh to frankfurt and like uh i was so excited and i was nervous and 
Uh, I remember playing Bejeweled on the little airplane computer for like, you know, eight hours with my uh, friend who was also studying German and, and coming to do the same trip. And I remember like when we descended out of the clouds after that time and like the first thing I saw was windmills and stuff. And, you know, from that angle, from high up in the air, everything looked sort of uh, mythical and different. And it was like a magical fairyland. But um, I'll never forget. And it still happens whenever I travel internationally. Like the first thing I really realized when I got off the plane and I was in a different country, like Germany, I, I had been to Canada, I guess, as a child. But if you're from Detroit, Canada is just like more Michigan. We, we, we don't think of it as different. And uh, but like I got off the plane, I got out of the airport and I started looking around and it was like and it's so stupid. But I was just like, everything's the same color. For some reason in my brain, even though I was like 20 years old at that point, I thought that things looked different. Like I just assumed that Germany would look different because like I'd only seen photographs and movies and like World War Two footage. So I thought like, I don't know, somewhere in the back of my brain, my psychology was like, oh, the world looks different in different countries. And I was just like, oh, it looks the same. You wouldn't know aside from people speaking a different language and maybe dressing differently, that we weren't still in the United States. And I thought it was really funny, but that's really stuck with me. And everywhere I've gone, whether it's been China or, or Thailand or South America, like I always get that same thing where I'm like, oh, this is just another place. It's just like going to another place that's familiar to you. I mean, yes, it's different, but the world is all, it's all the same. Like the sky, we all have the same sky above our heads and and stars and stuff, which may be obvious to the listeners out there, but it really kind of sunk in. And I was, it, it made me realize that the world is a much smaller place than we often think that it is. Yeah. I, I, it's really like, uh, like there are small, like style, stylistic differences, uh, like, like small, slight differences in aesthetic. Uh, like I noticed in, uh, like in, in the UK, lots of things are, are rounded, right? Like, they're more rounded than they are sort of harsh and, and jagged and edge, edged. Um, and that's like when I think of the UK, I think, oh, yeah, it's a little more rounded. But other than that, basically the same. Yeah. They, you know, they have Big Ben, which is kind of pointy and they have royalty and, and things like that. But <laughs> sure. just like 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 signs, like I feel like signs are more Road likely signs, to be circles. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. And uh, like like fences are more likely to be like round instead of like yeah. super like uh like octagonal shaped or whatever that word is. That's really um, funny that that's like the thing that you notice the most. It's everyone. I think everyone has the ability to, to like notice different details, but different types of people recognize different things. I think it's interesting that you were like, look at these road signs. They're they're rounded on the well, edge because they are. The car, they're triangular. The cars, the cars are like smaller and more rounded usually. Yeah, a little more practical. I don't think you see like big SUVs and stuff too much outside of no, not the states. Not nearly as much. Ford F one fifties are not super preferred in rural Asia. So how how old were you when you were in Germany? Um, you know, I was twenty years old, which at the time I felt like a big a grown up adult, but now that's it's been you know over eight years, and so I I feel like I I've grown up so much since then, uh, and I was stupid, <laughs> but yeah, I, I was twenty. I was a sophomore in college. Was it, did you have like a, like any sort of culture shock? Like, was it weird being, did you know German at all? Oh my goodness. Uh, culture shock is a great conversation to have. Uh, so, uh, the short answer is a little bit. Culture shock is this weird thing that you don't realize you're having it when you're having it. At least for me, I thought culture shock would be like this big in your face thing. You know, I remembered, uh, you know, I had already at that point been a big fan of like the amazing race and stuff. And I remember like the iconic early seasons of the amazing race where like they would go to India and everyone, you know, whoever was left in the show would just be like absolutely losing their minds, couldn't understand, like were panicking, like having a meltdown. That's what I pictured culture shock was like. But culture shock is is just subtle and it often manifests itself in like irritability. 
And it's not even like irritability at the culture. It's not even just like you're shaking your hands like, oh, the Germans or whatever. It can just be like you're more grumpy than usual or you have a harder time sleeping than usual or like your normal reaction speed and your reaction time slow down. Uh, and so to that to that end, yeah, I did have a little bit, especially near I was there for a little over two months and near the very end of the two months uh, is when it really started to hit. And it wasn't even. Again, it was really subtle because it wasn't towards the culture. I was still, I was loving Germany still. I liked being there. Um, but my friends that I had traveled with and I had spent the last two months living and studying and, you know, partying with, like, we started fighting, which we had never done before. You know, I, one of these friends I'd known for a few months, uh, but one I'd known for a few years and I'd actually lived with her for a while. Uh, and like, we'd never had a fight ever, even though we lived together in the States and like, we just started bickering. And I was so ready and glad that when we came home, I was like, I don't have to see those people anymore. And then after a day or two, I, you know, we, everything's fine. I'm still friends with both those people. But, like, it's little stuff like that. Like, and uh, if you actually read sort of the literature on what culture shock is, like, that's that's what it is. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, the food is really was really delicious. I, I've always been an adventurous eater, which is another thing, you know, we can talk about if you want. But, like, you know, German food isn't too crazy. It's a lot of meat and a lot of, like, uh, you know, cabbage and sauerkraut and stuff. Not too crazy. Um, but just, like, the flora and fauna, like, the gut bacteria that uh, you consume and that you have in your system as you go, they don't sit well with you. And so, like, that was my first international experience. So, like, I had, you know, a lot of trouble, like, adjusting to the food, even though it didn't seem or taste uh, too terribly different. So... It was a really big experience. There was a lot of good and a lot of things that were kind of bad and at the time seemed like a really big deal. Uh, but then, like, now, eight years later, I've got several more experiences under my belt, including a year uh, in Asia, which is way more different from the States than, than Germany is. Like, it all seems kind of silly and small now. What, what were some of the things that, that came up? Uh, in Germany, just like, uh, you know, you, I, you, you had asked me if I spoke German. So I actually, I minored in German, and that's kind of a funny story where I never intended to do that. The University of Michigan has a foreign language requirement where you have to take, like, a certain number of credits just to graduate. And so I plan on doing the bare minimum to graduate and then and moving on. But then my in my very first German class at the University of Michigan, that teacher, um, apparently they do this. And this is like a kind of a secret. Maybe I shouldn't be spoiling it. But uh, the German department actually asks all of the first year German teachers to sort of flag students that they think have greater than, you know, nominal skills or like potential. And so I'd gotten flagged. And so like after my first year, I got an email from like the dean of the German school. And I thought I was in trouble because he was like, you need to set up a meeting with me immediately. And that's all the email said. And I went there and he was like, so your teacher thinks that you're really good at German. So would you rather be a German major or a German minor? And I was like, no, 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 I don't I don't intend to do any of this. And he was like, well, you should because you're really good at it. And we need more German majors and minors. And he kind of outlined what I needed to do. And basically what it ended up equaling was I needed to take one more class than I would have taken anyway. And then I also would get credit if I chose to go to Germany for the summer. And so it was an easy sell for me because I was like, oh, my God, I can travel and I can count it as school and I can get credit for that. Uh, and then on top of that, when I graduate, I have another sort of notch on my belt in my in my degree. So, yeah, so I, I spoke a bit of German. I thought my German was way better than it ended up being when I got there. But, like, yeah, so some problems that came up. I mean, just, like, simple things. If you've never traveled abroad, if you've never been in charge of sort of navigating yourself, uh, like, you, 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 you know, reading street signs, learning how maps work, the fact that streets don't work the way that they do necessarily in the United States, especially in Europe. You get a lot of, like, small, uh, pointy, curved, sort of, like, narrow streets, a lot of one-ways, because a lot of these cities are hundreds or even thousands of years old, and they've grown organically over time. Uh, just, you know, different communication errors. The, the little school that we studied at was not um, like a German university. It was like an institute. It's called the Goethe Institute. 
And um, it was just like an international language school. So people from all over the world were there. So, you know, I was meeting people from Australia and people from Morocco and people from Russia. And so, uh, you know, I made a lot of international friends, but there was just lots of like learning about sort of different cultures and, and sort of learning like how to interact with different types of people from different backgrounds. And there's lots of, you know, little faux pas that come up. Yeah. So uh, when did you end up going to Asia? Was it soon after that? Uh, no. So I fast forward, right? I come back, I finished my, my schooling at U of M. I ended up double majoring in film studies and psychology and then having this minor in German. And all of those things are just things that I was interested in. I took a ton of different classes my freshman year and the ones that I liked, I took more of those things. And then junior year rolled around and they were like, you need to figure out what your majors are. And then I like, I figured out how many credits I had in different things. And that was just I was like, I don't mind taking more of those classes. I completely didn't plan out my uh, undergraduate education at all. And that's a warning to all you people that are in high school and college out there. Don't be like me. But when I finished, I, I realized I had sort of two options based on my qualifications. I could either pursue the movie thing. And all of my film school friends that were graduating, they were all just moving out to Los Angeles and like crossing their fingers. And that scared the crap out of me. I was like, there's no way. I, I'm at heart, I, I'm nothing but a coward. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to do that. Uh, actually, a lot of those friends I still stayed in touch with. And they are just now sort of actually starting to sink into the culture. They are just now starting to get like full-time paid gigs. And, and some of them work at like MTV. And it's really exciting to see all that. And I'm kind of jealous now that it's actually worked out for them. But like they've, they've worked really hard for several years and probably, you know, been very hand to mouth. And then my other avenue at that point was psychology, which I still was very interested in. Uh, you know, my interest in things like Survivor and Big Brother may have had something to do with my interest in psychology. And so I was like, okay, well, if I wanted to go that way, what can I do? So, like, it's my senior year in college, and I Google, like, psychology jobs, you know, and I spend, like, 15 minutes looking, and I'm like, oh, there's nothing. I can do nothing. If you have a bachelor's in degree in psychology, you can do nothing. And so then I was like, well, I guess I have to go to grad school. If I, I've already decided I'm too chicken or whatever you want to call it to move out to L.A., so I'll continue this psychology thing. And then in my head, and this is how I've lived most of my life up until this point, I was like, if I go to grad school, that's two more years I don't have to think about anything. Because <laughs> that's what I did. Like, when I started college, I was like, I'm just going to take classes and get A's, and I don't have to think about it for four years. And so I, I did that. I went to grad school. I got a graduate, a master's degree in clinical psychology. So I have a specialization in, um, like, family and child psychology, specifically uh, in a clinical setting. So things like diagnosing learning disorders, diagnosing um, mental problems, things like ADD or cognitive disabilities, dis you know, uh, diagnosing sort of personality disorders, bipolar, things like that. That's, I studied all that, family therapy. And then I got my diploma and my, my license. It was like a temporary license. It's like a student license. And then after all that, I had gone and taken all these classes and I, I had just been writing papers for two years. And then I had like an internship and it was it was really good in terms of like, it was a good internship. They were nice to me. I got a lot of work done, but like, I didn't love it super much, but I didn't think about it because I was like, I'm not graduated yet. I'm going to worry about that later. Uh, and then graduation came and then it was like, oh, end of the line, that two years that you don't have to think about is, is now. And uh, I was like, boy, uh, what am I going to do? I hope that this, maybe this place will hire me where I, I have my internship. Spoiler alert, they didn't. And uh, then... I was just kind of hopeless. <laughs> and one day I got an email in my student email. I still hadn't deactivated or they hadn't deactivated my, my graduate student email. And there was an email blast that went out to everybody. It wasn't to me. It wasn't specially for me. But the headline was like, would you like to be paid to live in China? And I, <laughs> and I was like, 
you know what? I would. And I, I clicked on it and there was like an informational meeting. So I, I went to it uh, and I, I, I got my girlfriend to go with me because I told her I'd buy her subway afterwards. I was like, listen, there's a subway right next to campus. I'll get you lunch. We're going to go to this meeting. <laughs> For a brief second, I thought you meant you got her to go with you to Asia because you would buy her subway. Afterwards. Well, you know what? That's <laughs> essentially the truth. That's kind of what happened because we went to the meeting and there was this nice Chinese lady there who had a relationship with the school and she was like, we need people to teach English. I, when I say I, I don't mean me. I mean this, this woman. Uh, her name was Frances. That was her English name. Uh, she said, I have connections with different schools and they want, um, native English speakers. The, and this is true nationwide in China, but the preferred way of teaching language is through rote memorization. And they, uh, they prefer native speakers. Basically, they want you to just talk English at them and they'll absorb it. And so they were like, we will pay for your travel to and from China at the end of the year contract. We will pay for your apartment. Like you'll have a lodging and we will also, um, you have the option for free food. We, they provide food at the school and also you'll get paid on top of that. And, uh, I said, that sounds absolutely amazing. And again, the way that I live my life, I said, that means I don't have to think about anything for a year. I don't have to think about my future for a year. And so after the meeting, uh, we went to Subway and I was saying to my girlfriend, like, that was pretty interesting what that, that Francis lady said. Can you imagine? What if we lived in China? Well, that'd be funny, wouldn't it? And, you know, she was like, yeah, I guess so. And I was like, you're not, you don't love your, your job very much, do you? And she was like, no, because she, you know, she had just sort of like a starter job out of college, too. We graduated at the same time. And I was like, let's just do it. And uh, she said, yeah, let's do it. So we went back and talked to this Francis lady. And I thought it'd be harder to do. I thought it was going to be like applying for a job. So I was like, hey, we're really interested. Um, what can we do to like take the next step? How do we like, how can we convince you to interview us? And she said, like, in, in, in kind of broken English, she said, like, uh, I need you to tell me right now how interest, how, how likely is it that you'll quit on a scale of one to 100, 100 meaning you're going to quit. Like, if I, if I hire you, will you quit? And, uh, we were like, I looked at Laura, my girlfriend, and, and then back at Francis, and I was like, zero percent. And then she was like, you're hired. <laughs> and so then, you know, we got our Chinese visas, and then like two months later, we were living in Jiaoqing, China. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it's real easy. Uh, and, you know, we can talk more about it if you want, but uh, it's something I do recommend. I, it was a crazy experience. There were a lot of downs and lows that everything I thought I knew about traveling internationally and all that culture shock stuff in Germany was, you know, magnified a hundred thousand times in China. Uh, but that's already now four years or so in my past and like looking back on it, it's a really great experience. And it's one of those things where, uh, at least in the current sort of climate of what China wants, if you are someone who is in or recently graduated from an undergraduate degree program, uh, they will take you like one of the only real requirements is that you need to have a, a bachelor's degree, which there's a whole, you know, line of philosophy about whether or not that's the highest quality of education that, you know, the Chinese children of the world are going to be getting, you know, but uh, if that's something, if you want to be paid to travel, that's a great way to do it. So can I ask how much they ended up like paying you? Like, what was it? Yeah, like sure. It? It's really crazy. Like, uh, well, okay. So one of the things I learned in, living in Asia is like culturally, uh, and I guess I can't speak for all Asians or even all Chinese people, but what my, my experience was, was that there's no bashfulness about sort of like talking about wages and money and things like that. So since I've come home, I've always been way more open about all kinds of stuff. Americans tend to be kind of weird about that. So we got paid about a thousand dollars a month, US, and they, they, um, they took taxes out ahead of time. So that was, we, that we got to keep that. 
And uh, there's, you do have to, even if you live abroad, you do have to pay taxes to the United States. But uh, if you make less than $100,000 a year, you don't have to pay any. You have to file the tax claim, but you don't have to pay any. So that $1,000 was just ours to have. And so Laura and I lived together, so we were making about $2,000 together a month. So over the course of a year, we made about twenty four grand, which isn't a lot. That's less than, you know, one year of sort of like most starter salary. That's even kind of uh, lower than a lot of minimum wage type jobs, depending on what state you live in here. But again, uh, all of our, uh, we, our, our apartment was paid for. Um, we were able to eat meals at the school. The school had pretty nasty lunches. So after about six months, we kind of stopped doing that. But, uh, so like most of our stuff was paid for. And so that all that money was just ours to have. And if I know now what I knew then, I would have like been, I'd have saved it more. But like, we yeah. just, we just did whatever the hell we wanted. We, we were nuts. We eventually, we started to go out to eat a lot. We would, you know, drink on the weekends and stuff. We would, um, travel, you know, flights to other Asian countries from China are very, very cheap. And so we just did whatever the heck we wanted. And by the end of the year, we still had over three quarters of that left. So we made like $24,000, uh, but we still had eight, whatever, it's 18,000 of it when we came back to the United States. And so, uh, we were unable, and that includes like, we took like 10 or 11 trips to other countries. That's like two round trip plane tickets to 10 or 11 other countries and all kinds of bus travel and like any, you know, what, whatever we couldn't spend enough money and we still kept most of it. And so, uh, that's just, that shows how sort of, um, cheap the, the cost of living is over there. So we really did get a, a very good wage, even though sort of from American standards, like it seems like it wasn't a lot. So what was it like? living there like you know it must have been as you said like even more different than uh than germany right oh man i mean we could talk for hours and hours about this and uh we, i would never even begin to scratch the surface i this is a sort of the genesis of my belief that people on the internet want to hear what i i think i i had had a twitter account for a very very long time I, i'm actually one of the early twitter adopters but like i started a big blog and i i assumed that my grandparents would read it and that's it but I had friends share it with other friends, and uh, I, I didn't have a super wide readership, but eventually um, someone at my, my grad school, which I had already graduated from, but someone at the school that I had attended uh, found out that I had gotten this China gig through them. And so they, you know, they contacted me, and they actually they asked me to write like um, weekly newspaper articles about sort of like life in China for like the, the University of Detroit like newspaper publication. So uh, that's I started kind of keeping track of all of it. And uh, it's interesting to look back at that blog now, because at the very beginning, there's this honeymoon phase where everything is awesome. Everything's incredibly wonderful. Everything that's different is different in a cool way or in a good way or in a funny way. And then, like, you can just see over the course of my 12 months, I updated every single week for the first, like, six months. And then I started updating, like, every other week. And then I think my, we moved away from China in July, but like my last blog post was in like April or something. Like I just completely kind of tanked and it was just because my, like, uh, my enthusiasm was just waning and everything started to get old. That's where that, that culture shock starts to, um, to set in where all that little stuff that used to be cool and funny, different now is just like annoying, different, you know, uh, looking back on it now, it's hard. Like people are just people for as, as different as it was. Uh, you know, everyone's really the same. People are people all over the place. But when you live in it, that culture shock sets in, and it, it's really, it's really hard. Uh, in terms of specific differences, gosh, um, one of the first things you notice is that like the streets are really clean, uh, but everyone also litters over there. 
Uh, and it's because the, the Chinese government, like, employs a, basically an army of, um, street cleaners and street sweepers. It's one of their many programs that, uh, actually cuts down on homelessness. There's very little homelessness at all in China and, like, joblessness in China because everyone has something to do. Uh, but it's a weird dynamic because, like, if you're walking down the street behind a family, they're just littering left and right. They're just throwing all their trash on the ground. Uh, but then, at the same time, like, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, like, it'll all get cleaned up. Like, there are people who do that. And, and we would, just sort of in our own American heads of, like, don't litter, you know, we would, like, chastise our, our Chinese friends when they would, like, throw a bottle down. And, like, they just, they were just like, it doesn't matter. There's someone whose job that is to, to clean that up. Just lots of little differences like that. China has, like, a siesta time, which you don't think about too often. When you think of, like, siesta time, you think of, like, Latin American countries or maybe Spain. But, like, there's a big nap period throughout the day. Uh, it's typically an hour or so long after lunchtime. And that was kind of weird. Uh, people at our school, we, so like we worked at a school, it was a big elementary school. It was huge. And like we worked in the English office. There was actually Chinese English teachers who taught the bulk of the lessons. And then there was seven of us foreign teachers who kind of, uh, augmented that with our speaking English at kids. And so like all of the other Chinese English teachers would just like sleep at their desks. They would either just like put their heads down on their desks or some of them, cause they were, you know, a lot of them were quite small. They would actually get up onto the desk. And like lay on their keyboards basically and take a nap. And it was really interesting at the nap time because we weren't used to that. Some days I would try to sleep in the, in the room in the office, but some days like me and my girlfriend would just go for a walk. And like when that nap time hits, people just stop whatever they're doing, wherever they are. So like construction workers, I, no joke, I took pictures of this stuff. Like, uh, construction workers would just lay down in the street. Like when nap time hits, like whatever you're doing, stop it and lay down. And was it the same time for everyone? Yeah, it's like 2 p.m. or whatever. So just like the entire country just like goes to sleep. Yeah, basically. I mean, like shops were still open because me and, you know, we would sometimes go and get a snack and some of the restaurants would stay open. But yeah, basically the the country just stops for an hour. Like traffic kind of stops, which is why it was safe to basically lay in the street. Uh, So yeah, yeah, just lots of interesting things Uh, in terms of sort of personal like hygiene type stuff like um and again, I'm, I'm even though I lived there for a year, I don't feel like I'm qualified to speak for all of Asia or all of China. But like uh, the idea of like um, spitting, for example, uh, is something that, you know, in mostly in America, we say well, you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't do that like openly. But uh, based on the people that I spoke to, like there's a Chinese belief that has to do with sort of health or medicine that like if you have something in your mouth, you have to get it out because that means like sickness or whatever. So people are just like, you know, spitting left and right. And again, these are things that when you first see it, you're like, this is interesting. This is a new culture. I love this. But after like a year of it, it starts to kind of weigh on you. And you're just like, why can't, you know, why can't it, why can't it stop? I can't take it anymore. Uh, you know, eating, like uh, chewing with your mouth open is another thing that's kind of frowned on in the United States. And there's not really like a moral connection to that necessarily. There's nothing wrong with it. But like uh, in Asia, it's not a problem, especially in, in China. So eating any meal was always like really tough. It, that's something I never quite got used to is like, watching and, and hearing other people eat very uh, voraciously. Did you have a hard time like connecting with people? Like, did you feel like it was kind of like you and your girlfriend and then uh, this whole yeah. world outside? Yes, definitely. There is. So we, we did make friends. We did make a few friends, but like there is this community of, they call it, you know, the expat community. There's just people who live in China temporarily or, or they move there. People like us basically. And, um, I, I, it's weird. I don't want to speak ill of the, of, you know, these people in general, especially because technically I am one of them or I was one of them. But like, if you are a completely normal, well-adjusted person, you don't just up and move to China for a year or two years or three years. And I, I speak, speak that as someone who I, I recognize that I'm not a completely normal, well-adjusted person, but like the community of expats was interesting because 
they had a hard time relating with each other, but at the same time, they were very tight knit because they were the only people who could sort of understand each other. Uh, unlike most of Europe or even a lot of other Asian countries, uh, most of China speaks no English at all uh, or very, 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 very little English. So it was hard to communicate and relate to other Chinese people. And so like we would go to sort of these functions or whatever. And it was but it was hard. These were all people that were not the most well adjusted. And, you know, to be completely blunt, neither were were I or my girlfriend. So like we never formed like these really, really tight bonds. Um, in addition to the two of us at our specific school, there were five other people that worked at the school that were, they called us the foreign teachers. And there were two other people that were actually from Metro Detroit that had gotten recruited by the same lady. So there were four of us from Detroit. Um, there was one guy from Britain. He was from England. And uh, there was a guy and a girl from Scotland and India, respectively. And they were a, they were an item. They were a couple and they had already been there for a year. It was like their second year. And that group of seven, including me and Laura, were... We all lived in the same building. We were like next door neighbors to each other and they all like lived together. Like they, you know, they all, they all, there was like a three person unit and a two person unit. So like they were all roommates and we were basically their roommates. And then we worked together. We commuted to and from work together. And so like our relationship with them was very up and down because you never got a break from them at all. And they were different people. Like, you know, we were all just kind of thrown together in this situation. And so they're, you know, it, it's, it's just like anything where you work with somebody, you meet a person, you kind of become a work friend with them. You are sort of friends of convenience. But in this situation, we had to cling to each other because we were around each other 24 seven. And also we were the only people who could like truly understand each other. And so that led to a lot of ups and downs and things became really, really clicky. And somehow, and uh, maybe it's because I'm a big jerk. I don't know. But me and Laura kind of got on the outs of the group of the other group of five people and they, they kind of ostracized us for a really long time. And, uh, so that it was really hard. It was, it was very hard, uh, to do that because it was difficult to connect with Chinese people. Like there were other people that we worked with that were Chinese that were kind of on a nice speaking basis with us, but that, you know, that you don't get a lot, any of that emotional connection. And then the, the people who were kind of forced to be our friends clearly didn't really want to be. And it's funny, sort of now, four years uh, down the line, I'm still uh, very close with the guy from England and also one of the other guys from Troy. Like, we've, we kind of were friends and then we kind of stayed friends and our friendship is, if anything, it's stronger than it was in Asia. But the other, the other three, I don't, I don't speak to at all. And so, yeah, it was hard. That was another big thing was just sort of maintaining personal connections. It was a really good test of my relationship uh, with my girlfriend because we kind of were all each other had for the whole year. Well, how long had you been together uh, when you had gone to China? Um, we had known each other since high school. Uh, we come from like a small-ish town, so you know we knew each other. Uh, we had started dating in 2011, so we we had been together for about three years at that point, uh, which is you know not a terribly long time, but like it wasn't like we were strangers. We we had already been living together and stuff like that. How did you like get together? Oh, me and Laura, we so we went to high school together. We were friends in high school. And we uh, kind of had like an on and off again thing for a short portion of high school. And then it kind of went away. And then I, we went to different colleges. So we sort of drifted apart. And then uh, actually, here's a fun connection. I tried out for Survivor and the Detroit Free Press, which is like the major newspaper in Detroit, decided for some reason to cover the fact that Art Van was having Survivor auditions. And for some reason, they decided to have a photo of me in front of the Survivor audition at the Art Van be the the cover of... It was front page news in Detroit. There was there must have been nothing going on that day. So I was front page news in the Detroit Free Press one day back in like 2009. And uh, so she saw that and still had my number from high school. And so she texted me and was like, good luck getting on Survivor. 
which I didn't get on. But uh, and then we kind of started texting daily after that. And then eventually she transferred to U of M. So then we were classmates again. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and we realized that we were meant for each other. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so you went, you went to Asia, like, where do you think this whole, uh, concept that you said sort of drove your, your younger life, uh, came from where you were like, I, I, I want to just delay things. Uh, I don't want to have to think about my future. Uh, like, do you, do you have any idea? Well, yeah, I mean, if I want to get really, really introspective, like, um, I have a, a, a complex relationship with, with my, my family. It's, it's overall, it's, it's good, but it's complex. Uh, you know, and part of it's me. I think I'm just, I was a weird little kid. I was a very weird little kid. I've actually worked very hard for the last 28 years to become like moderately well adjusted, at least outwardly. Um, so, you know, I'll take some of that blame, but like, uh, my family is also kind of a, a collection of oddballs. You know, we all love each other. Um, but like when my, my parents ended up getting divorced, uh, when I was like 10 or 11 years old. And, uh, it's funny because at the time I was happy, you know, everyone was like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And I was just happy. Cause I was like, this is a good thing. I, I was sort of like emotionally, maybe not emotionally mature, but I was mentally mature enough to see like, this is not working or, or good. And, uh, it's a good thing. So I was like for it. Um, but I've sort of realized in the last like four or five years, kind of like how that can affect your development. Uh, whether it's in good ways or in bad ways, it can it can change the way you relate to people and, and relate to the world. And, uh, you know, both my parents are, are, are good people, I think. But like uh, and I'm, I'm still very, very, very close with my mother and, and my father and I talk. Uh, but like I think that them kind of going their separate ways and then having to deal with that. You know, as I get older and become more of an adult, I can relate to my parents on like an adult level. I can see where they may have been, you know, when they were going through that, like they had their own stuff to go through. And I was always very self-sufficient, which I think was probably a big relief off their shoulders. Uh, but, like, I was always a good student in school. I never got into trouble. Even though I was weird, I was always, like, I was weird in the way that, like, I would buy, um, like, technical manuals. Like, uh, how to, like, HTML for dummies. And I would read those when I was, like, seven years old. Like, that kind of weird. So they were, like, he'll be fine. And uh, and I was. Like, I, I've turned out fine. But I, don't, I didn't get a lot of, like, hands-on guidance. And so I don't think that uh, because you know, they, they had their own sort of issues they were dealing with and, and whatever. And I was, I was fine. I was getting good grades or whatever. Like, I think that no one ever was like, you know, this is maybe like a good time to start thinking about what you want to do as an adult or, or like, this is a good time to start studying those things or, or whatever. And I, I don't resent my, my parents for this, but I, I know a lot of other people, especially from the university of Michigan, because a lot of very well to do families and students go through there. Like a lot of families will not only guide their, their kids, but they will sort of like offer them opportunities like early internship opportunities or, or whatever. And I never really had any of that from, from my family, which, uh, is, I think it's kind of cool. I've, I've managed to make as much of myself as I have, but like I just had a lot of directionlessness going on. And then also we, we moved a lot when I was a kid too. Like, uh, from the time I was born until I was nine years old, we moved, I think five times, which is not insane. And it was always around the, the greater Detroit area, but like I, I was always moving schools. I was always moving neighborhoods. I was always changing friends. And, uh, I was also, I was homeschooled briefly for a while, which is a whole nother thing that we could talk about. It was short, but like, it, it literally sounds like you're describing my childhood, like every single one of these. Ah, oh, this is adorable. <laughs> well, you know what? Something I love about the, the Taryn show. And I hope that, that if anyone gets anything out of this uh, episode with me is that like, I love this show with you because I, I find crazy ways to connect with everybody. Like from the very first episode, 
it's like everyone, you know, we have this really special community with the, the RJP community and stuff where we all have similar interests, but, uh, even if people have different lives or different goals, uh, you know, like Eric Stein and I are very, very different. But like when I listened to his episode with you, I was like, oh my God, I, I see a lot of that in me. So I, it's good to hear you say that. But, uh, yeah, so I, I think I got used to, um, change. I got used to change and, uh, I hated it for a while. I remember, I actually remember this and my mom brings it up every once in a while because she thinks it's cute. But like around the time we moved, like the third or fourth time, I was seven years old. And apparently, you know, I, I told my parents that when I was an adult, I was going to move back into the place that we were when I was born, like the very first place that I'd ever lived. And I was never going to leave there because I was sick of moving. And I liked the first place and there was nothing wrong with the first place. And so I didn't like it for a while, but I think I've, I, I internalized it. And so that has led in a good way uh, to me being very open to new experiences and new opportunities. And I always see sort of the good in most things. Um, but to a negative light, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm behind, you know, I have, this is, I've now had this current job for over a year and, uh, it's kind of, we're going on the record for like the longest job I've ever had. Uh, and you know, I've, I've rarely lived in the same place for, for more than a year. So like, I'm, I haven't, again, I haven't really started putting roots down in things. A lot of my, my friends or, or my cohort from, from grad school or undergrad, like they've all had a job that's been their job for five or six years now. And so like, they're starting to get like raises and incomes and they're all starting to get into like the management level and stuff. And I'm still sort of entry level, uh, in, in some respects. So like it can be hard. And I also, I don't like to live with regrets and I, I would never say I have regrets, but like I look at times when I had a thing I was doing and then I would change that thing. And now looking back on it, I'm like, damn it. If I had stuck with that, more could have come of that. Like I could have really done something with that. Uh, I actually was a, I worked at the University of Michigan radio station, shout out to WCBN FM. And I worked there for like three years. I had my own show. Uh, at one point I worked up to having like the Friday drive time shift, which was like the most coveted shift. Uh, they eventually asked me to be on the board of directors and I was actually on the board of directors for a year. I ran like the big fundraiser. And then after I did it once and I was successful with it one time, I quit. I was like, oh, that's enough. And it's like, boy, if I had done that more, I mean, that's, that's cool. Like how many people, and I was like 20 years old at the time. It's around the time I went to Germany. Like I was on the board of directors of like a thing. And so and it's no, no regrets. Cause I wouldn't change anything. Cause I love where I am right now. And I love who I am and, and who I get to talk to. But like, that's sort of the, the downside of, of the, the transience. And then of course I discovered like bizarre foods with Andrew Zimmern and also like Anthony Bourdain and stuff. And they really uh, almost fetishize the idea of like always being in a new city and always eating new things and discovering new things. And so I've always been like, I want to be that. That's uh, if, if I can have an idol and if it's not you, then it's probably <laughs> it's probably someone like, you know, Anthony Bourdain, who just gets to um, travel and document it and just gets to have a good time. and People pay to go see him or, or to watch him. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel like that that feeling of I wish I had spent more time doing a thing so that I could be at a certain place now. Like, I feel like that's pretty common. I know I felt it a lot. Um, it, like, uh, like even just in school and, uh, like through, the, like I had the opportunity to like, like skip a few grades when I was in, in school. And, uh, I, for the longest time, I was so angry at my mom because she said, uh, she told, she said, no, she didn't want me to. Um, I was like in first grade or something. Um, and I was like, can you like, look at me now? I, I could be like two years ahead of where I am right now. If you would let me do this, I'm so angry with you. Um, and I still am to be honest. Uh, but, 
so this isn't a growth story. Right. Uh, this is just me complaining. Um, but yeah, like there's just this like this thought of like where could I be if I had stuck with this thing or if I had uh, you know if I had like worked on this thing like uh, you know if I had started working out when I was in middle school instead of when I was in college like where would I be now? Um, but uh, you know at the same time it it, it really is like I, I I also see what you're saying where it's like. It's also like it's not like you regret where you are now, or like right, like yeah. like I enjoy my life now, and I'm happy where with where I am. Um, and you know, any potential possibility would be someone different. So you know, it's hard to really covet somebody that's not you, right? Right. Well, there's that you know that famous saying that you know most people wouldn't give up their own burden to like pick up someone else's burden. And uh, yeah, it's funny. I actually this is a. a I have a recurring dream slash nightmare. It's honest to God, I've been having it for a few years now where I, I wake up. It's in the dream, but I wake up and I'm in middle school again. And I have all of the memories that I do now of being an adult. I basically time traveled. And it's a really weird, melancholy, sort of nice, but also scary dream. Because on the one hand, I'm so excited that I get to relive all these things again. Like in the dream, I meet my best friend. And it's like, oh my God. Like I, and I realize in my dream, because I know the future that it's the significance, like this is going to be my best friend or I meet Laura and it's like, oh my God, this is going to be my, my partner that I spend my life with. But then it's also terrifying because it's like, I'm so afraid that if I change one thing, I'm like, I have to live through all of this again. And if I change one thing, my entire life could be different. It's almost sort of like a, um, the opposite of Groundhog's Day or some, or something where it's like, I'm living through the same time again, but then I'm, I'm so afraid that anything I do is going to have some cataclysmic sort of uh, thing. So it's clearly something I, I think about a lot is like redoing uh, things and making better decisions. I think if I can, uh, you know, take off my guest pants really quickly and put on my psychologist uh, negligee, I think that maybe I, a good bit of advice to myself and to yourself is to, to realize that like everyone goes through life at a different pace. And the important thing is that the lessons you learn, you, you now know, and that you're going to go forward knowing them. And like someone's going to learn them quicker than you, but a lot of people are going to learn them a lot slower than you. And so you just got to be the best you that you can be and like take whatever lessons that you've learned and, and try to continue to do better. Right. We just got to every day. We just got to wake up and try to do try to do better and, you know, not slip. So, yeah, I agree. I, you know, I used to be a very, 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 very fat kid. And it took me, uh, it's taken me a lifetime to get to a, a modicum of shape. And no matter what shape I'm in, uh, I always know I can do better. And I, I regret not trying sooner or I regret that I let myself be a fat little kid and all these different things. But it's like, but now I know. Now I have good habits. Now even on a bad week or a bad month, I still exercise like several times a week. And like, it's look forward, you know. Walt Disney said, uh, keep moving forward. And, I, you know, maybe it's because I'm, a horrible person deep down inside but i also take some solace knowing that like where i am i'm i'm doing better than than other people and i don't relish in them not doing well and i don't mean like uh in terms of you know my amount of money or, or whatever i just mean like the lessons that i've learned i learned them quicker than some people are going to learn them and the habits that i have that i think are good habits i've, I've learned them quicker than some people are going to learn them and so it's like uh, it's, not, it's not always about comparing yourself to other people, but sometimes when I catch myself being negative or thinking like, oh, I screwed up again. Why did I do that? I think like there's a lot of people out there who would absolutely kill to do as effective as I have done so far. If you want to make it about the weight or the exercise, you know, like uh, there's a thing that people say uh, on different weight loss communities that I've like been a part of for several years where it's like whatever you are now, that's someone's goal. And that's a good thing to remember, too, whether it's about fitness or anything, really. Yeah. So how did that start? Did you, was there a moment where you just decided to start losing weight? No, you know, uh, 
I don't, it's funny because I was a tiny, when I was a little kid, I was tiny. I don't really know exactly when it started, although I was recently going through some old pictures and you can tell uh, it was when I was like 10 years old. It was 2010 is like when I went from like a cute little tiny kid to like a fat kid. Like, I don't know, I guess puberty started. Um, but then like, yeah, throughout middle school and high school, I never really cared. I was an indoor kid. I played a lot of video games. I spent a lot of time on the internet. Uh, I discovered podcasts back when they started. I was I was a big fan of the Ricky Gervais podcast, which is, as far as I know, like the first major podcast that was like popular. Uh, and so like, that's what I was all about. I had, I had a Netflix account before they had streaming. I was getting DVDs every week. And so like, I didn't care. But when I was a freshman in high school, our um, biology teacher, who was a very formative person in my life in a, in a lot of ways, she's a wonderful person. And uh, I'm actually friends with her on Facebook. I always tell her once a year on her birthday that she was a great uh, formative person in my life. But she actually sponsored a 5K every year. And uh, it was to save the manatees. Her pet project up in Detroit, Michigan, was to save the manatees. She would raise money every year uh, and then send it down to the, the Save the Manatees Foundation in Florida. And so that was the point. But she needed more and more people. Like uh, when I was a freshman, it was like the second annual one. And so she offered a bribe, basically, which was that if, if we signed up for the Save the Manatees 5K, we would get extra credit. Which I don't know, you know, how uh, that kind of is fishy, I guess, because like we were in effect paying for extra credit. But what are you going to do? And uh, so I did that and I walked it that first year because like, there's no way I could have run three miles. Um, but then I, you know, I got the extra credit. I got the T-shirt. And then um, the next year, I don't think I did it. But then the next year, I actually took AP biology and I had her again. And I don't know, I just said something to myself, which is like, I'm going to run, I'm going to run the Manatee 5k this year. And so I trained for it and it took me, you know, they like the, a good couch to 5k sort of exercise plan is like six weeks, but I was like in terrible shape. Uh, and so it took me like two or three months to work up to being able to finish moving three miles in one go, uh, but I did it. And that really propelled me forward. And that's sort of the very, very beginning of what that journey was. I was also a big marching band kid. And so we were exercising quite a bit, twice to three times a week at, at marching band practice. And so like by the time junior year high school rolled around, I was in a pretty good regimen of like moving and I was still out of shape and I was nowhere near in as good a shape as I am now. But that sort of planted those seeds. And then I went off to college and then the freshman 50 hit me. They say it's 15, but it was more than that for me. And like, you know, college happens. And so you're discovering all these things and you know, whatever, you know, college. Uh, and so I kind of fell off that wagon again. But then around the time I finished undergraduate, I, I got serious about it again. So there's not really, if you want to pick a formative moment, it was probably that save the Manatee 5K because I was bribed to get extra credit. But like, it's just been a very slow, you know, long process with lots of ups and downs. Yeah. Um, so do you, do you feel like you have gotten to a point where, you are no longer kind of just like, oh, let's just put things off. Do you feel like you're now on top of your future? Like, like where where have you gone since uh, since coming back from China? Well, you know, it's weird, but I, I mean, that year in China was very dark for me. And actually, the year after when I came home was even darker because there's such a thing as reverse culture shock, which is where you spend a year or more away somewhere. And even though you feel like you don't belong in China, uh you come home and then you suddenly don't feel like you belong there anymore either. And that was, that was really hard because I came home uh, and all of my friends had lived their lives for a year and I had stayed in touch with a lot of them, but it's different, you know, going into a Google hangout once a week and then like living with these people living a year with them. So they'd all gone off and done certain things. They were all, you know, a year farther into their careers and all these things. 
And then I was still grappling with this big idea, which is that uh, I didn't really like psychology work. I enjoyed learning about it, and I do like talking about it. I've loved all of the opportunities that we've had to talk about it on this podcast, but I didn't like the practice of it at all. And that was really hard on top of the sort of reverse culture shock was realizing that like I had spent basically the last six years of my life plus one in China, um, ignoring this big thing in my, in my head, which was I've spent a lot of time and a lot of money, uh, doing a thing that I don't actually want to do with the rest of my life. And despite that, I was forcing myself to do it because I was like, this is what I can earn money doing. Um, but you may have heard of this, but like Detroit's economy isn't the greatest. And so I had a very hard time actually getting a job in psychology. And a lot of my cohort who actually had stayed in Detroit for the whole year that I was in China, they were also still unemployed. The actual people that I graduated from grad school with. And uh, ultimately, my my one of my better friends and the most successful person from our grad program, uh, she had at one time nine part time jobs doing different psychology related things. And she was the and that was just like, that was going to be my future. She was like, that's what you're going to have to do. And so I was like, boy, this is a hustle. And I have to work really, really hard. And I don't even like doing this. And it would be really, 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 really hard if I liked it. And if I loved it. Like my friend who had the nine part-time jobs, that was her passion. She was never happier. She was so happy to have nine different jobs where she could do nine different psychology-related services in an area that needed it desperately. And like, I just didn't love it that much. And I just didn't want to, I didn't have the, the heart and soul to put into it. I'm a very, very, very hard, passionate, hardworking, passionate person when I am passionate about something. But like, if I don't care about it, it's, it's really hard to motivate me. And so like, it was just a very rough year. I, I, I found myself unable to relate to my friends and I found myself getting hurt feelings and it's not even their fault. Like I've, I've still stayed friends with them and stuff, but I would get hurt by the, the littlest things that they would do because I just, we just didn't connect anymore. And I lost that rapport with them. And I'd also spent a year sort of being ostracized in, in, in a different country. And, uh, it's just a very, very hard year. And eventually the job that I did have, uh, with my psychology related stuff dried up. It was, I was working, uh, for public schools, like Detroit public schools doing, um, IQ tests, basically, um, for kids that had their parents had applied for them to receive uh, aid, like special ed. And so I was testing these kids to see if their IQ, you know, and or personalities and behaviors warranted uh, services or not. And I took that job because it was offered to me and I worked my butt off. And then summer happened and they were like, hey, it's summer. We don't need you anymore because there's no school in the summer. We'll call you in the fall. So I took the summer off. And then in the fall, they didn't call me again. And I called them and they were like, yeah, we don't need you this, this year. There's, there's fewer kids that need services. So I was just unemployed. And that, that was sort of like the point where I was like, okay, I can either break my back again to get into this psychology niche that doesn't really seem to exist very much in Metro Detroit, or I can start looking more further abroad. And so I, I started talking to friends and family and working on my networking skills that I'd, I'd never really developed to that point and talking to everyone I knew in every city in the world that I knew people in. And eventually, after a lot of emailing and pleading and, and whatever, I, I got a connection in, in Orlando. And a friend of mine that I went to high school with was like, hey, we have a job if you want it, but you got to move to Florida. You got to move to Orlando. And I was like, I'll be there immediately. Uh, and so I moved down. And then to actually go back to answer your question, uh, since moving down here, uh, you know, things have been great. Like no one's life is perfect. There's been a lot of ups and downs, but a lot of amazing things have happened to me 
sort of in that year. I, I discovered, uh, I actually discovered the IRHAP network a little before China, but I started contributing occasionally to you guys. We, you, you discovered me, as it were, during the So You Think You Can podcast uh, competition. And so that was a fun way for me to engage with people who had similar interests and in a like-minded thing. Uh, I moved to a city where the weather is nice most of the time after living in horrible climates my entire life. And it's funny because people who live in Florida and live in Orlando and have their whole lives have a lot of negative things to say about it. But coming from Detroit, Orlando is a city that works on so many more levels than Detroit does. And I love Detroit. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of Detroit, and I'll say nice things about it forever. But, like, Orlando has so many fewer problems. It's just a much nicer, more cohesive, safer, beautiful city with, with – there's always stuff going on. And, uh, you know, my job is not 100% perfect. I really like it. There's always good days and bad days. But I, I've got a lot of really wonderful opportunities to travel and talk with people. And I've met a lot of wonderful new people that have become my friends and my coworkers. And uh, things are going great. And I'm, I'm starting to learn more about – just uh, sticking with something and like planning farther ahead. I have kind of like a four and five year plan now, a 10 year plan. Like I have, I have goals and stuff that aren't just like, you know, what'll happen. So what are your goals? Well, uh, gosh, uh, you know, now you're putting me on the spot. I, they're not, they're not <laughs> concrete, but it's, it's a, it's a far cry from where I was, where I was just like, I don't have to think about something. Right. Um, I've learned a lot in the last few months, six months about like personal finance. I'm starting to like actually save money a little bit, which is like I'd never done before. Um, I'm taking a lot of time to not only be good at my job, but also to make connections with other people in higher up departments and different departments. And, you know, so uh, one of my goals is to sort of work my way up uh, where I currently am into sort of a better position or a more long term position. Uh, and in the meantime, I'm, I'm planning on developing things that I'm interested in. Something that I've struggled with my entire life is that I'm, I'm interested in a lot of things. And it's it's always been so hard to pick a thing and focus on a thing and you know, the idea that if I pick one thing, I have to not focus on the other things. Um, but I'm, I'm starting to think about that as, as, as a gift or, or a blessing. Like it's, it's cool that I'm interested in so many things. So I, I'm, I'm embracing that and I'm, you know, I'm studying multiple languages and I'm doing like, I, I don't have to pick a single thing. So I'm learning to sort of harness my uh, fleeting personality and my, my go whereverness. I'm learning to sort of harness that and use it to an advantage where, I, I can focus that in certain directions and be open to new opportunities while I'm still satisfied with where I am. It's not any longer like this cloying feeling that I have to get to somewhere. It's like I'm ready to go where I, I need to go. Cool. Uh, so what, what are you doing? Like, what is your work? What does it consist of? Sure. So my job is I work for uh, Full Sail University is the name of the place. And it is in Central Florida. They are an entertainment, media, arts and technology university and so people who come to the school they they learn how to do very practical things they learn about it's like a behind the scenes type school so like audio production or video production or web design or cloud technology design things like that and so i work for the um the touring and outreach department so what i do is i uh we we facilitate tours when guests come to the campus and we show them around and then also i travel sort of around the country to to talk about it so there are college fairs. Most towns and most high schools will host college fairs. There are also national level college fairs. There's actually a organization that is like the National College Fair Organization. And like three, four, five thousand colleges will come to a single city and represent themselves. So I go to those events. Uh, and then I will also occasionally go to high schools and talk with like their counseling department and different things. So uh, I just kind of like spread the word about the university because even though it's been around since the 70s, 
for, for a very long time, like most of the students have come sort of from the Central Florida region. And so it's like a lot of people don't know that it exists or whatever. And so we're kind of spreading the word. So, yeah, you know, on a Monday, I hop on a plane, I go to Connecticut or whatever, and then I talk to students in various forums uh, in Connecticut, and then I come home and things like that. Cool. Um, so, like, you sort of you told the, the story of, of your journey here, but, like, what was, uh, what was your girlfriend doing this whole time? Like, was she, like, what, like, what has that contributed? Oh, well, I mean, so she's always had a much more level head than me and, and, and whatever, and she's always been very satisfied with sort of, where she is and she's always been very good at finding her niche wherever wherever she needs to so yeah she came to china with me had the same job as me she actually got paid a little bit more than me because she had a teaching she actually had a teaching degree which i just had a psychology degree so as a teacher they were like you're more valuable uh and then since uh coming back to michigan she got a job working at a center for um behavior for um children with autism she did that for a year. And now, uh, you know, I said, I have this job opportunity in Florida. And at the time I was unemployed and she was, but she was making, you know, X amount. And what I was being offered in Florida was for more than she was making. So I thought, well, we thought rather that like, right now I'm making nothing and you're making this much. And if, if we move to Florida, you'll, te you'll temporarily make zero, but then I'll make this much. So like as a net unit, it'll be a better move for us. And also, you know, Central Florida is beautiful. It's great. It wasn't like a hard sell for her. So, yeah, she she came down uh, and then she was very lucky to, you know, well, I shouldn't say lucky. She ended up working her way into getting a, a good job with the um, public schools here. So she's like a fifth grade um, teacher for Orlando Public Schools. So is this what you, you you sort of like you see yourself just sort of like staying in Florida, working your way up through this job and uh, all that or? Or well, do you think no, it's like I said, I, I'm I'm still open to opportunities and I want to develop these different things I'm interested in. I'm uh enjoying the occasional uh, correspondence that we get to do uh here with the RJP network. Actually, uh and I guess I don't know how much I'm allowed to talk about this right now because it's still not uh, officially launched, but Full Sail is working on launching its own um internet radio network, and I may or may not be pretty heavily involved with that. And uh, so there's there's different opportunities that are related to it that I, I'm sort of working on developing. I'm still tooling around with doing writing, even though I haven't really published any of it. Just sort of like experiential travel based stuff whenever I do have the opportunity to travel. Uh, you know, I'm like I said, I'm developing uh, at once upon a time. I was I was fluent in German. I'm still trying to sort of maintain or scratch up on that. Uh, I never got very good at China, but I did or at Chinese. But I, I, I worked on it for a year in China and I'm still trying to improve on that so you know having language skills can help with a number of different things uh so i don't know i'm 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 harnessing that sort of uh openness to be open to opportunities uh so i don't know i don't know where life will take me but instead of being sort of anxious about it I, i'm excited about sort of what the potentials are cool yeah it's it's funny uh because i i also learned german um in school we started in middle school and I took two years of German in middle school and I feel like that was the height of my German. And then I took like three more years in high school and like every year I, I like lost bits of what I had learned in middle school because I hated it so much. Yeah. Because like, I had a really good teacher in middle school and then it was just right. like all that. The teacher makes there. the teacher makes all the difference in the world. The experience makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get into Big Brother and, and Survivor and all that? Yeah, I was wondering if this was going to start at the top of the hour or if we were going to get into it at some point. I, I've, I've mentioned this a few times in different podcasts, but if you've never you know, listened to any of my other shows, I 
had obviously heard of it. I'm old enough that I was around when the phenomenon happened. You know, I had friends that were super into the first season, but it was just something I always missed because I was always like moving schools and whatever and uh, different things. Uh, but eventually the person who sort of is my, my best friend now, uh, when I met him, he, he was and still is super, super into Survivor and Big Brother and The Amazing Race and all these other shows. And I, I had no interest in it for a long time. I, I thought it was kind of silly. And I almost like, I, I'll be honest, I made fun of him for being so into it. Uh, and then, and I, I, it was sumo at sea. So five years later, Survivor Palau rolls around and I was at my grandmother's house and my aunt, I didn't even know she was into Survivor, but she was over and she was like, oh, Survivor's on. I got to watch it. And my grandma had a small house and only had like the one TV in the house. So like I watched the sumo at sea episode of Survivor Palau. That's the one um, where James goes home. Spoiler alert. And uh, I, so I caught the whole thing. I actually, it was the first time I sat down and watched an episode of one of these shows and I was enthralled. And, you know, it's, I don't need to sell Survivor on you. Like, it's very, very fun to watch. It's very interesting. But I immediately connected with the idea that there's more to it than, I guess in my head, I thought it was just all about, like, drama. I, I think I, I had seen some episodes of, like, the real world before, and I was like, that's silly. But, like, here was a game that had, like, a strategy to it. And here was a game that, on its surface, you know, Sumo at Sea especially is, like, a very physical episode. But then, like, here is a, a show where... The strong aren't necessarily the ones who survive, or the physically strong aren't the ones who necessarily survive. I really loved that, uh, you know, going into that episode and having no idea how the show works or whatever, you know, but because the show draws you in, by the time they got to Tribal, I was like, oh, they're going to send home the weak person because they lost the physical challenge. Uh, but then James goes home that episode, and I was like, whoa, that's not what I expected, you know, and having rewatched that season, and also I know how Survivor Strategy works, I think that that's a pretty obvious boot now uh but having never seen any episode before that that blew my mind that you could just vote out whoever you wanted and that you could actually talk with other people and be like let's send so and so home and uh i was like oh my god that's amazing so like the next week i was at my friend's house and he had uh vhs tapes of all of the seasons of survivor at that point like he personally recorded them all because uh they weren't out on dvd yet and uh i was like can we watch survivor and he was like yeah we can and so we watched the first episode of the very first season and I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And so I, I borrowed the tapes and I think I watched uh, season one in a day or two, maybe. It was like summer vacation at this point. Or I guess it wouldn't have been. It would have been like late April. We were getting into summer vacation. But anyway, yeah, I was like, I need the rest of your tapes. So I worked my way from season two all the way out to season 10. I watched the season 10 finale, you know, live on TV I was so ready for, you know, they did the preview for Survivor Guatemala, and I was like, this is going to be the best season ever. And I, uh, I I made, this is like the early days of making your own websites. I made a GeoCities website. They released the cast list for Survivor Guatemala, and I instantly picked Lydia as my favorite. I was like, this woman is going to win Survivor Guatemala. And so I used, I made a GeoCities fan website for, for Lydia Morales. <laughs> And, uh, I think I had, I had, of course, I had that little green, like, visitor ticker. And I think, like, a few thousand people have ended up visiting it. Cause if you Googled, like, Survivor Guatemala, it would come up. And, uh, but I didn't get any, like, comments or anything. I think people just checked it and was like, this is a stupid website by a stupid child. But yeah, and then I was, I was hooked. And then once, uh, that summer hit and there was no Survivor to watch, I was like, I need something. I need something. And he, he gave me The Amazing Race and I watched all of that. And then I was like, I need more. I need more. And so he, he eventually gave me Big Brother. Which I was not interested in because I had seen clips of it that he'd shown me. And I was like, this is a little trashy. I'm not interested in this. I want to see the strategy. But I eventually had run out of other stuff. And then he gave me Big Brother 2. And he was like, there's strategy in this. Just watch Big Brother 2. And uh, 
I would like begrudgingly put the tape in, but then I was like enthralled by Dr. Will as, as millions of people before and after me have been. And I've, I've never looked back. I've never, you know, missed a season. Uh, I did kind of sort of not pay attention to Survivor Nicaragua, but I've eventually gone back and like, you know, revisited it and stuff. And uh, it's just been a part of my life ever since. I feel like there are those like lulls, those natural lulls in sort of both Survivor and Big Brother where like. Like right now. <laughs> like lots of people Who that? Who just kind of dropped out. But like, I don't feel like people are dropping out of Big Brother. Like they're complaining about it, but they're not dropping out of it in the same way that I think a lot of people kind of did around like Big Brother 9, Big Brother 13. Um Sure. Because I, and I and I think social media and like the podcast and all of that is is a part of uh, a part of the reason why people aren't dropping out anymore. But like back when it was just a show on TV uh, that didn't have this sort of like you know a, as much of a you know super fan community around it, uh, I think it was much easier to just kind of fall off the bandwagon uh, and and just be like ah you know it, this is this is Big Brother Nine this is dumb. Right. I would say that sort of one of the things that kept me sticking through it over the years, even during those lulls, is that I had a my my friend, the one who got me into the show. We ended up both going to the University of Michigan and we ended up being roommates after a while, uh, along with some other people. And so we always watched it together and we sort of forced our other roommates to watch it with us. And like it became sort of like a family night thing that all the roommates we would watch Survivor or whatever. And like having other people to watch it with and talk about it with definitely you know keeps you interested in it and gets you more invested in it and uh boy i mean we could do a whole separate podcast and and maybe we should someday about like the effect of social media the effect of podcasts on these shows because it's amazing uh you know the viewers out there the listeners if you have not gone back and rewatched some of the older seasons of big brother especially but even the older seasons of survivor like it's amazing who were the fan favorites at the time like i remember living through these seasons and who was the fan favorite and then like you know, they ne- they would not be the fan favorites now if social media took over. And I don't, you know, I, I'm a pretty liberally minded person. I don't like when people are, are mean or bad or terrible people. But it's it's just crazy how, like, I think that there's a certain zeitgeist where, like, if someone says a remark that's uh, not kosher on one of these shows, especially Big Brother, like, nowadays, like, everyone just piles on that person. And, and maybe rightfully so. I'm not trying to editorialize. But, like, it can really change the narrative of like who's hated in a season and who's loved in a season. Whereas like, you know, before Twitter, before social media, before podcasts, before people would talk for two hours at a time about these people, like different people, you know, were fan favorites and and different people were villains for, for different reasons. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And it's, it really is like you mentioned, you know, you'd watch it with a friend. I really do think that these shows are just such a communal experience. Like they're not really, meant to be watched alone i think i think that the reason that they've been able to find an audience that has like stayed consistent with them for so long is because it's it's just meant to be watched with other people to talk about with other people uh in in a way that like no other shows really are like even even like the the glory days of lost when everyone's discussing like fan yes. theories like that even that doesn't really compare to the experience you get when you watch survivor or big brother and it's even i think re- like restricted to these kinds of shows because i don't think the same thing comes about with i mean like a show like american ninja warrior like i podcast about that but that's not a communal show that's a show that you that many people watch on their own and like they have their own personal relationship with it whereas like big brother and survivor like 
it really is just such a, a community focused thing. And I think that you get so much more out of it when you are a part of that community in a way that just doesn't compare to anything else, I think. Yeah, a theory that I have is that it has to do with, you know, and obviously there's controversies and conspiracy theories and stuff, but because these things are all completely unscripted and, uh, you know, we can talk and we have talked about, like, producer interference, like, ultimately these are, you don't know what's going to happen next week. You know, even Survivor, which, yes, they filmed it previously, like, we don't know at any given time what could possibly happen. Whereas, and I lost, was, and still is probably my favorite scripted television show still, uh, you know, that was always, and I, I would love, you know, I used to go onto forums all the time and be like, what do we, what's in the hatch or whatever. But like at the end of the day, it was like, well, the writers are going to write something, you know, you could say, well, do the writers even know, have they decided what they're going to talk about? Well, okay. That's one thing. But like at the end of the day, you know, Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse and, and, uh, you know, the other people, uh, are going to actually write the script for that. Uh, whereas like, you know, survivor or especially big brother, like, production can push for a certain thing but like we never know exactly what's going to happen so you can talk for several hours about like well what's the best move here who's going to do this what's going to happen here uh it's much more open-ended yeah it's there's really like there's no other show or piece of media that uh, that's that's like meant to be entertainment that I think like evokes so so much conversation about it like you like you can watch a tv show uh, like a scripted TV show and be like, oh, you know, like like Black Mirror, for instance, which is, I, I think, one of the more, you know, you're really able to talk about Black Mirror because there's like six whole episodes to talk about. And you can talk yeah. about each one individually. But like each one, you're going to talk about them for like 15 minutes to a half an hour each at most, probably. And then that's then you're done with Black Mirror. Whereas, you know, Rob podcasts for like 10 hours a week about a single episode of Survivor and I podcasted every single day about Big Brother during Big Brother 19. Uh, like, there's just so much that you can talk about with this stuff. It, it, and it's 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 just a... I, don't, I think that there's some there's really something that... And I think community adds to all sorts of different kinds of entertainment. But it, I think there's something unique to these shows. Yeah, well, you know, I think the closest comparison, and it's one that we've kind of alluded to here with you talking about Ninja Warrior, but, like, the closest comparison really is sports where it mm -hmm. is something that is a game and there's something that is there's an end goal. And it's not like The Walking Dead where it's like, what's the goal of that show? Where the goal of Big Brother or Survivor ostensibly is to win. And even though we might get a season like Big Brother 19 uh, where this may not be the case, like in general, every player is trying to get to that end and get to the win. And so it's like sports. You can talk about different plays. You can treat, and I think the success of... Rob and, and similar podcasts, yours, you know, you look at those individual plays and strategies and you say, well, this is what previous players have done, you know, and then you can bring statistics into it. You can say, well, this move, how many times has an idle play actually worked or has it failed and things like that. And so a lot of that, and it's funny because I'm not super into sports. I'm really into the Olympics. I'm excited the Olympics are coming, but uh, beyond that, I'm not so much into sports, but a, a lot of that same interest, a lot of that same draw, I think brings us in but then i think that what separates uh these shows from sports and also from other reality shows like this is not like desperate not desperate housewives real housewives nothing against that show but there's not a goal there uh but then it's not like sports where like other reality shows you get the 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 confessional you get the inside look we don't have in sports and i i wonder if it would work or if anyone would care or, or whatever. But like, what if you pulled uh, in the middle of a play, like a, an athlete at a basketball game and actually like had him do a confessional or her do a confessional and say like, here's what I'm thinking right now. I'm going to, I'm going to go this way. Uh, 
I don't know, maybe it wouldn't work with sports, but with, with these shows, you get that. And so that helps you feel like you can relate to them. And then it helps you feel like you, you understand them and you become more invested in them. You might have a favorite team. You might love the Detroit Tigers, but, and you might even have a favorite athlete, but you don't necessarily feel like you know that person. It's really weird. The very first time I talked to Rob or even you guys, and you guys aren't necessarily like, you know, you got, you weren't on Survivor, but like the first time I talked to Rob, it was like, I felt like I knew him because I'd seen him on TV and I'd seen inside his head from all the times he's spoken, you know, in his confessionals and then also from the RHAP network. Or, you know, I had the opportunity to play Sequester, which is the uh, Audrey Middleton online reality game. And the first time I talked with Audrey, I was like, hey, Audrey. And then I was like, well, we've never actually spoken before. And, and it's really, it's really weird. Uh, it's a weird thing. And it's because you feel like you're inside those people's heads. So I, I think that, you know, I'm not trying to say that Big Brother Survivor is better than any other thing or any other show, but you get the best of both worlds where you get the, the strategy and the statistics, uh, which is, and this, and like all the skills of like a sport, but you also get the inside, like behind the head, uh, thought process of maybe a lot of these other reality shows that kind of marry those two things. Yeah. I, I, I really feel like, uh, it's, it's not often that I think about it in these terms, but it really is something that's, it's it's really like a unique thing. It's like it's it is very much like sports, but different. Uh, it's like its own unique category that it and, it and I don't think it gets the respect that it deserves. It's, it's well, that's say. because you get Uncle Austin fart trailer game yeah. show episodes. Like, <laughs> there's not uh, you know uh, I I like to bring up the genius as a show mm -hmm. that obviously it's not from the United States, but that actually. Um, even though they do silly stuff too with like the pop-up video, like subtitles, like that actually gives it sort of like a certain amount of reverence where it's like, this is a, a show for geniuses or, or whatever. But I think the amazing race holds itself to a certain degree where even though they like to poke fun and have silly fun times, like, you know, Phil Keegan is always like right there in terms of like taking it seriously. Uh, even survivor, I think like takes itself seriously to, to a great degree. But I think for the, the, the wider audience, the people who may have caught an episode here or there, or people who don't get it, when they happen to tune in, they see the, you know, the episodes where people are crawling through, you know, simulated, uh, poop and stuff like that. And so they're like, you know, this, what is this all about? It does, it makes me wonder, like, like, how like i wonder if somebody took this concept and just did it completely seriously like even the genius as you mentioned is it's very kitschy and uh silly sometimes and like over dramatic uh at times like if somebody took it as seriously as like a sports game i wonder what that would look like and if it would be uh if it would catch on in any way well i think hunted tried to take it really really seriously that came out uh, about a year ago now and it wasn't exactly the same and it was super over edited and uh i had i enjoyed it i watched every episode it helped that uh we had the podcast about it but like uh that was that that took it seriously i think and that i don't know if that worked very well well i think the problem with hunted is that it's so difficult to like truly follow the action like right you know, the like, way they presented it too be, because it's not in a confined space so it's like it's hard to really get a full understanding of everything that's happening um whereas you know like when they're locked in a house or uh trapped on an island or whatever it is uh you feel like you are there you feel like you can understand everything that's going on um right so that's a good point uh, yeah uh, interesting stuff though. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. This has been awesome. No, well, I'm, I'm glad that we did this. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I, you know, I was honored to even be asked. I, I feel like I don't have as many interesting stories as Brent or, or some of your other guests, but, uh, hopefully, like I said, if some people get a couple things out of my, uh, haphazard uh, journey through life so far, I think it'll be worth it. 
No, I, I, I feel like I, I feel like everybody has something to contribute in this kind of way. You know, like there's something that can be learned from everyone. And I think that's what I've found in doing this podcast is that like every single person I have on in some way, I am able to find something that interests me and that I, uh, that I want to explore and that I learn from. So, uh, you know, hopefully the audience feels the same. Well, you're a good interviewer. I think that you find a way into uh, empathy. It's a, it's a, it's a therapy technique, really. It's something that uh, you, you would have been a good psychologist. Uh, you find common ground, you find relation, you know? I, I spent a long time thinking I wanted to be one. Um, and then uh, I guess... I and guess look where I, we are now! <laughs> yeah. Well, like, I... See, I went into college and was like, oh, I'd have to get a, a master's degree. Like, I'd have to do more college after this. And then there's all these like, rules and you have to, like, keep up with the licensing and all blah, blah, blah. Like, it just seems so strict and boring. Uh Never mind. That's too much work. I'm just gonna. Yeah, when you watch when you watch Mine Hunters, like they don't talk about that end of it. Right? Exactly. They don't talk about that aspect where it's like there's paperwork and there's licensure things and there's a lot of boring stuff and you got to hustle and yeah. Like the concept was very uh, interesting to me and the the pro like the work that I could be like I wanted to help children right like I wanted to do what I could to like help children through difficult times and like help them, you know, whatever. And, like, and that's what, that's like, that was what drove me. But then like the actual day to day process of all the stuff that I would have to do, not to mention like the money it would take to just to get the degree necessary and the time and all of that. I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> it would be easier to just pretend I can go and make movies. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like you did the opposite end of what I did. Yeah. And in the end, we've kind of ended up in somewhat similar positions. I guess so. How about that? That's some food for thought. <laughs> Doesn't matter what path you take. You'll always end up in the same place. You'll always end up on the Terran show someday, spilling your guts. Yep. Uh, well, uh, thank you again for, for joining me. This has been so much fun. Yeah, it's good to hear from you. I was worried that you'd forgotten about me. Oh, never. Never. You, you stood me up in New York? <laughs> I did no such thing. We, we saw each other in New York. You left without saying goodbye. Well, it's just a case of what he said or she said, I guess. Because that's not how I, I remember it. I, like, I, it was, I think it was shortly after I, I talked to Suri in New York um, because she was there and I got to meet her and it was awesome. Um, I like looked at my phone and there were like 10 texts from John like, uh, yeah, so I'm going to go. But I, I, like, I want to say bye. And I'm like, I've been guarding your coats, um, but I got I to gotta leave them. And I was like, oh, shit, he already left. Yep. Sorry. Did yeah. you lose your coat? No, I didn't. Your Thank your God. your spirit remained to protect them. I hid them in a good place. Yes. Uh, all right. So thank you, everyone, for listening. You can find this podcast on iTunes, The Terran Show. Uh, go ahead and leave a review, a star rating, uh, whatever whatever you want to do there. Uh, it's very it's very kind of you to do so. I haven't asked in a while, so I want to make sure I do that. Um, also, it's been far too long since I have uh, given a shout out and a thank you to uh, Will Simon and Dolly High, who have provided me with the wonderful music that you hear on this podcast. It's so fun. Uh, yes. Um, and uh, make sure you check out RobHasAWebsite.com. You can find the iTunes feed if you go to RobHasAWebsite.com slash Taryn. And uh, we've got this Big Brother celebrity stuff coming up. I'm actually recording. This is going to come out. Late tonight, early tomorrow morning. Uh, it is Monday right now. The cast was released last night during the Grammys uh, for Big Brother Celebrity or Celebrity Big Brother, whatever it is. Uh, and we're going to be doing a podcast 
to review the cast tonight. Uh, and then once the season gets up and going, we're going to be doing some live feed shows and all of that. And uh, I'm sure John will be a part of them. So uh, all of the new new John fans uh, will be very happy and the old John fans uh, to hear him on this. Here, I'm going to really, really quickly give me give an 11 person. I'm going to give you a quick review of all 11 people that are going to be on Big Brother Celebrity, okay? Okay. Her? Him? <laughs> him? Her? Him, her, him, him, her, her, and oh, her. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that will be me uh, tonight on the podcast. Luckily, I, I asked uh, Brent and Melissa, I was like, uh, so do you guys know who these people are? And uh, Brent was like, I, I got this. I know all yep. of them. I, I knew ironically, it. <laughs> like, they just happened to coincide with all of my interests. So I know all of these people. Like, Great. You'll be our expert. Uh, also, it's like, it's interesting, uh, like, like the, the concept for like what a good celebrity cast is. Like, it, there are so many different ideas of like, oh, I, well, I need to know all of these people. I, these people are nobodies. But then if they were just a bunch of like, big name people but were super boring like would that be better i don't know like uh i think people have weird expectations because we've never seen a, a celebrity season in this format before so uh i'm interested to see how it goes um we've got we've got a couple fans on there so uh, i just want to say we'll is it a reality is it a celebrity reality show if there's no baldwin brothers on it that's my <laughs> only take does it really exist uh i don't know um, all right. So thank you again, everyone, for joining us. You can find John on Twitter at uh, what's your Twitter handle? It's John Krause at J-O-N-K-R-A-U-S-E. I also post some Instagram stuff at Harry Henderson, M-D, which is H-A-R-R-Y-H-E-N-D-R-E-R-S-O-N-M-D. Don't ask. I thought it was funny at the time. No one gets it. It's fine. Uh, and stay tuned. I probably in the next month or so am going to be uh, launching maybe my own um, film criticism show, possibly on the radio network that I work at. Uh, maybe I can't talk about it too much until it happens, but I'll post links on my own social media when that goes live. Very exciting. Check that out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Armstrong Taren. Tell me all about how you uh, enjoyed this podcast. And if you didn't, then, uh, you know, don't bother. Uh, and... <laughs> That's that's about it. I want to uh, know. If you hated it, I'd like to know. Yeah, you can tweet send it, all the hate mail to tweet, me, please. Tweet it, John. Uh, so thank you, everyone, for joining us. I will see you next time. Karen's asking questions. Karen's finding out. Karen's looking deeper. That's what it's all about. It's the Karen Show. So...